The following audio session was recorded live at the 2017 Region 2 Convention in Costa Mesa, California. Please visit oar2.org for information about the 2018 convention in Sacramento and to get links for more convention recordings. Thank you for listening. So welcome to the Interstellar Harmony Workshop. My name is Scott, and I'm a compulsive overeater and your, and your monitor for, uh, for this uh, meeting. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Before we get started, um, we ask that all cell phones and electronic equipment be turned off. Even if you think it's off, please be sure. This session is recorded. All participants are required to sign a release, which we'll work out afterwards. Um, to protect our anonymity, no photograph, photography, audio, or visual recordings is allowed. The opinions expressed here today are of the individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. Uh, please remember two hatters, i.e. OA members affiliated with related facilities or other 12-step programs are requested to speak on their recovery in the OA program only. An Ask It basket is out there and um, it'll be circulated for questions for later in the session. Uh, if there is a person in the, uh, this room, uh, if, the, if there's press in this room, please respect the anonymity by not taking pictures, using video cameras, or using full names. We have uh, three speakers that will speak 20 minutes uh, each, followed by 10-minute um, questions and answers. Um, the topic is young persons and their experience. And we'll start with Maggie. No, I mean, uh, can, I don't have can tag on. <laughs> Hi, I'm Kendall Compulsive Reader Bulimic. Hi. Hi, guys. Um, so do we have a timer or is it just go? Oh, perfect. Beautiful. Um, can you just give me like a 10-minute warning at some point so I'm not like rambling for 20? <laughs> okay, just 10 and then 5 and 2 is fine. Okay, um, yeah, so I, I guess, let's just start with the very beginning. Um, I grew up in a very loving home um, with parents who constantly encouraged us to love ourselves and be confident and like physical and like mental and all everything in between. Um, but I just felt like the actions, like, like some of the actions that went on in my home didn't necessarily display like the words that were being said to me. Um, and my mom has her own, you know, eating problems or whatever you want to call it. And, um, it's hard to watch that, like, growing up, especially I was I was a gymnast, and then I was always in sports. I was always really active, um, and 
I, uh, even if I, you know, was like when I was my skinniest or when I, whatever, thinnest, lightest, um, I am not exactly like a gymnast body. I've always been like a bigger, more muscular girl. And so that was really hard growing up because I did gymnastics from like two to 13. And I always wondered why these tiny little people would flip so much faster than I would. And what was wrong with me because I was working harder in my head than everybody else and still not getting the right results. Um, my mom was also a gymnast. So that was a, a big stressor there. Um, I've always been a huge, I mean, it's not, uh, like my sponsor said, she's like, I'll tell her about my, my D-Sex. She's like, I'd love to tell you you're unique, but this is what we all have. <laughs> I'm a perfectionist. I'm stubborn. I like to be right. Um, I like to tell you why I'm right and until you agree with me. <laughs> until I change your mind. Um, <laughs> and... Um, yeah. So, so the perfectionism, like I said, is not unique, um, but it defined a lot of who I was. And I was really good, like a lot of us, at making everybody think that I was perfect. And, or so I thought that I was pulling that off. Um, I, uh, when I got into high school, I started wrestling. And in middle school, and in like starting in middle school, the, I mean, in elementary school, too, but it really started to take off in middle school when we paid more attention to boys and who's getting more attention and this girl's getting attention, this girl's not. What are the differences between her and her and why, blah, 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 blah. So all of that started. Um, I remember in seventh grade, for a year straight, I wore jeans and a hoodie to school in Southern California every single day because I didn't want anybody to look at me um, and see what was underneath them. And, of course, you know, you look back at pictures and I was just totally normal sized, you know, very, very much, very athletic, very in shape. So, but I couldn't see that. Um, and so then in high school I started wrestling and, um, I wasn't at the point of bulimia then I did have some overeating or some binging here and there. Um, but it wasn't super present until I started wrestling and it was, the thing about wrestling is that I love the actual sport. The sport is wonderful. Um, it's beautiful, and it does really awesome things for some people. But there is a lot of that. There is a lot of that environment that is an organized eating disorder. It really is. Um, I mean, we're talking like plastic suits and sweats and all like seven layers of clothing and jogging and then running and sprints and then going in the sauna all while you haven't eaten for five days and then you're dehydrated and I brought myself to the brink of you know um I was passing out I was losing my hair I lost my period um you know all the all the signs a lot of the signs of anorexia you know but I didn't it didn't connect um and I didn't think that I counted as an anorexic because in between those weight cuts, I was binging like crazy. Um, and so I didn't think that that counted. I also didn't know what overexercising was. Um, and I still don't identify as it, but that's a whole nother thing. <laughs> so um, anyway, so I got into high school and, and I started wrestling and I couldn't understand why people were encouraging me to lose 10 pounds every week and then bounce back up and lose it and bounce back up and bounce back up and lose it. And of course, every time you bounce back up, you gain a few pounds of fat because your body, you know, it goes into survival mode and it wants to hold on to everything that you're giving it because it's terrified you're going to take it away again. Um, and, and then this coupled with, you know, being starting this at 13 and all of my high school career till I was, or 14, 13, 14 till I was 18, um, and then I wrestled a year in college and it just, it was even crazier. So I, um, probably started throwing up my food, which was a great discovery when I was a sophomore in high school, um, on and off here and there. 
um, only when I like really needed it, you know, like most time I could like keep things in control. So I thought, and then I would just explode every once in a while. Um, and I thought that I was really good at keeping it a secret. My senior year was absolutely horrific. I, in the, in, in the kicker of all this is that I was constantly positively reinforced for my negative actions because I was winning national championships. I was flying overseas, like every month to go compete in these world events. I was really good. <laughs> I had a 4.43 GPA. I was, you know, popular. I was this, I was that. And, um, I thought that that meant that everything was okay. And I was sleeping around, I mean, in between my long-term relationships, whenever I wasn't in a relationship, I would sleep around. And I thought that was okay because I wasn't cheating on anybody. Um, And at the time, it didn't matter to me. And I look back now and I feel really sad for that little girl um, who felt that that's what she needed to do, you know, to make people like her and like to be cool and experience things and whatever. So... My senior year, um, like I said, things got really horrific. My parents started catching on more and more. They both have over 25 years of AA and Al-Anon beneath their belts. Um, So they are very familiar with the program. They picked up on some addictive patterns. I wasn't drinking too much. I was doing things here and there. And I'm a firm believer in the idea that um, my disease could have represented itself in any of those outlets. Um, I just like, because of the way that my life went, it ended up being an eating disorder, um, because of, you know, certain avenues, but, and in a way I feel like that's a blessing because I could have damaged my body probably even more if I was, you know, doing drugs and who knows, there's no way to know, but it is scary to think about. Um, and yeah, so, so my senior year, my parents started like kind of picking up on things. And I remember, you know, there's some moments that really stick out to me as like, how did I, you know, how did I not get help after this like event or like after this event, like how did I not, you know, see what was really going on? Um, and I was, I would, I would like go to the gym in the morning. I would go to school. I would eat and throw up at school. I would, um, go to practice after school, come home, eat and throw up, go to another practice, come home, and doing my homework in the car and stuff between these things, come home again. And then I would like sleep and I'd wake up in the middle of the night and go downstairs and binge and throw up and like do all this stuff without my parents finding out. And my mom was a really light sleeper. I was really sneaky. And, uh, or I would tell my mom I was going to the gym and sometimes I would like go to like walk to the store, just all that stuff that you guys have done too. (laughs) So, um, and yeah, so I was throwing up one time in the middle of the night and my dad knocks on my bathroom door and I was like, Oh my God. He's like, are you okay? Like, are you okay? Something sounds, something doesn't sound right. And my parents were terrified of me cutting weight. They had seen all of it, um, up and down. They just didn't know the throwing up part and they tried to stop it, but you can't make somebody, you can't make somebody hold down their food. Um, and you really can't control that. So they tried, (laughs) but it didn't work. And, um, I ended up getting him to leave. I was just telling him I was fine, whatever, being really quiet. Um, he ended up leaving and I finished throwing up and I went to sleep and, um, and that really sticks out in my mind is heartbreaking because, um, trying to imagine, you know, that as a parent is just hard. (laughs) What are you, what are you going to do? You can't make someone keep down their food. Um, anyway, so after that, my parents got me in a way and, um, I went to my first meeting in this tiny little (laughs) back room of an Applebee's and it was, it was myself and my dad went with me because I was terrified um and I'm really close with my father and he went with me (laughs) oh my god it was so bad it was these it was this couple 
no recovery, very, very, very overweight, heartbreakingly so. It was the four of us in this room of these Applebee's. And I left that meeting feeling like, OA is so weird. I am never going there, never, ever going back. Um, and my dad was like, no, no, trust me. Like, I'll find you a good meeting. I'll find a good one. And, um, and I live in Corona, but we drove all the way to Costa Mesa because I didn't want to see anybody that I knew. And um, he brought me to this Friday morning meeting um, in Costa Mesa. And I walked in, and it was magical. Um, I heard everything that I needed to hear so many things that sounded just like me and so many people that like over and over would say like food is not a problem for me anymore I don't even think about food anymore like this 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 like I still have problems life's not perfect but I'm not throwing up and I was like that's possible like you could do that like that's a real thing um and so I got really excited about it the problem here is that I would go to that meeting every Friday I didn't have a sponsor I didn't work the steps I didn't do anything I was living at home and I was babysat and all of a sudden I was able to stop throwing up I was still binging but I stopped throwing up and thought I was fine um and I was like really inspired and you know very spiritual so I didn't have a relationship with my higher power but somehow thought I was you know this creation so (laughs) then in the fall I I went off to college and I wrestled in college so as soon as I got there I was on my own we had a 24-hour dining room and like all of this craziness and um, I was in a new country I went to Canada Uh, it was really overwhelming thought it wasn't until I was throwing up again um, all the time making weight up and down 20 pounds over and over and over Um, and like every week 20 pounds and uh I was just wrecked, wrecked emotionally and physically, throwing up five times a day. Um, I don't know how I was doing college workouts at this time. I don't know how my body did that um, because now when I don't eat, I feel like I'm going to (laughs) die. So (laughs) I don't know, but I made it through. Um, And again, I was still being positively reinforced for my negative actions. I was still winning all this stuff. And then it came to the point where I wasn't. Um, I wasn't going to program up there because it would have taken me an hour back and forth on public transit to get to a meeting and which later I realized, you know, the whole, um, which is another thing to touch on, but the argument of inconvenience, you know, what's really inconvenient driving an hour back and forth to a meeting or throwing up five times a day. You tell me. (laughs) Um, but anyway, so I lost nationals. I was ranked number one. I was expected to win, whatever. Um, So that was heartbreaking. I had like a crazy nervous breakdown. Uh, Then I went to Sweden, um, jacked up my MCL and lost and all this crazy stuff. And then another tournament happened at the U.S. Open. And at the U.S. Open, I almost ended up in the hospital. My legs were turning blue. I had to be carried to weigh-ins. I chopped my hair off to make weight. Um, I was absolutely emaciated. Um, My face was all sucked in. It was just really scary. And I looked myself in the mirror and knew I had to make weight. And I held my hair and I chopped my hair off while I stared myself in the mirror. And that's another one of those moments that I just, um, I don't know how I let things keep going after that. And, And I made weight. I don't know how, and then I lost, and whatever. So anyway, so finally, my whole little world came crashing down when I stopped being so successful um, with what things I was doing. And I... And I started going to meetings in Vancouver, and it was very inconvenient, but I stopped throwing up here and there. I was still, I mean, I was still doing it often, but it wasn't five times a day, and slowly and slowly it started dropping off, and then I came home from school absolutely thrashed as a human being and um, started going to my Friday morning meeting again, and I got a sponsor. I started working the steps, and for me to get abstinent that, like, 
my my rule is just I don't I can't throw up no matter what no matter what I eat I have to own it um and I did and it was so hard <laughs> it was so hard because I was binging and I was gaining weight and part of my story is weight gain and recovery um which is hard because a lot of people I would see like lost three pounds in the last month and, and I was like yeah I gained them <laughs> I took them from you thanks and, <laughs> and I was like yeah thank you for that um but I wasn't throwing up, and I started noticing that there was <laughs> – my relationships were getting a little bit better. Um, you know, things were happening. I stopped throwing up. And suddenly, like – and I don't um, – my I mean, my abstinence is just no throwing up. So, I mean, for me, what works is eating what I want when I want so that I don't, you know, um, have craves and binges. It's not works for everybody, but it works for me. Um, and so slowly and slowly, I noticed that the less I stopped – trying to because then I thought oh well if I just eat completely perfect then I'll never have to throw up but eating completely perfect led me to binging so then I just had to eat whatever I wanted and slowly it's become very normal um my food is very normal like I hardly think about it so and and I oh and my year birthday was a year ago on June 3rd um so (laughs) that's no throwing up so in just a year you know we're here um, and so lately I am on step 11 right now. And lately I thought, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm a year in, I like know this, I know that. And all of a sudden I'm like, ah, everything's being thrown in my face. <laughs> like, this is who you are. This is what you've done. I was like, I thought I made my amends already. Like I thought I was honest person. I thought I did this, that. And, um, I am in this wonderful relationship with this wonderfully understanding, beautiful man. Um, and we've been dating like since I pretty much got in like to my last stint in recovery. So like the last year and, um, all of a sudden all these lies are coming up from before when I first met him and I'm having to say, okay, babe, like this, I know I said this before, but this is actually how it happened and da, 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 and I'm correcting these things and it's extremely painful. Um, and it's extremely painful for him. I'm too sure. I'm too him too. I'm sure because you've been dating this person for a year and all of a sudden you feel like you can't trust them. Um, and things got like really scary for a little bit there, like around last week. This is super recent around last week. And, um, and it's okay because things are going to be scary. And if I don't do the hard things then I'm not going to grow. And, um, if I, and also like my sponsor was telling me that this helps me have compassion for other people and this is good for my ego <laughs> because, um, I can't always be on top all of the time because if I'm on top all the time then I never learn how to climb up and grow further. Um, and, and I know all that, but it still sucks. Like it's still painful. I am trying to do the work. I'm trying to take the right steps in the right direction. I'm still growing so much as a person every single day. And I have to sit there and bite my tongue and not be defensive and just say, I understand. I can see your point of view. I can put myself in your shoes and be there instead of saying, well, I didn't mean it this way. And da, 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 because that's not going to get me anywhere, but that's where I go right away initially. Um, with my mom too. Um, <laughs> so, and then that's a whole nother thing, building that relationship. But what I started noticing in step five and six was that was when I first started to have a lot of conscious contact with my higher power. And I haven't mentioned that at all yet, but that is the biggest, best part of my program. Um, God for me is, direction and love and acceptance no matter what and there's so much faith I was I I drove to my boyfriend's house this morning because like I was telling my sponsor he needs some extra love right now and I've hurt his feelings and um, I need to be there and uh and I was like God no matter what happens like 
please just let me accept it. Please let me be patient. Please help me be patient. Please help this be a little bit easier for me. Um, just please let me, you know, be in a lot of acceptance because this is the one of the, like, this is the biggest moment that I have felt so out of control in my life. Even with eating, when I was out of control, I still felt like I was in control. Right now, this is another person's, like, decision, emotion. I have no control over that, like, at all. And um, as much as I would like to. And so, with Steps 5 and 6, when I started noticing, like, my part in things and, like, throughout the day would see, you know, um, this is how I reacted to this conversation. This is how I looked at somebody or whatever. This is how I honked to somebody when we were driving. Um, I'm like whoa, okay, God, please help me be patient. I'm being really impatient right now. Please, like, clear me of this judgment that I have over somebody that I don't even know. Please this, please that. And the more that I do that, the more my God shows up for me. Um, Just, I mean, there are so many miracles that happen every day. There there was one time, like, six months or seven months ago that I was on on my home binging, um, I worked at Starbucks for a little while and I would close and I would take all this food with me and I was binging in the car. This is seven months ago. And I was like, I don't want, wait a second. This isn't gonna make me feel better. I don't want to do this. Like why? I started throwing it out the window as I'm driving and all of a sudden I get a, a call from my boyfriend. Hey, you should come over. And I was like, okay. I see you, like, I see you, dude, and uh, (laughs) you're there for me, like, all the time when I can't be there for myself, because I might have gone home and had, like, even a more horrible night, but somebody stepped up for me and um, showed up for me in my life, and the more, and I've noticed also, and I've heard this before, that the more I show up for myself, um, the more God shows up for me, and the more that I do the work, um, like the actual work that I don't want to do, like the writing and the step work and the conversations that I don't want to have with my family members and like exit, like just the stuff I don't want to do, like the icky stuff. I don't want to do that. But the more that I do it, the more miracles start showing up and the more God shows up for me and the more things that are thrown in my face that I'm like, oh my God, this is why this horrible thing happened. It's because this is happening now. And if that hadn't happened, this opportunity wouldn't be here. And it, and like I said, I know all of that now looking back, but still in these moments that things are tough, it doesn't like, it doesn't make it easy. It still sucks, but I have the faith to carry me through it, which is very powerful. And I've never had that before. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I mean, my date, like what, like, I, I think like in my recovery, I probably went up a little bit and now I'm evening back out. My body's kind of trusting me again and not being terrified. I'm going to make it throw up and take all its food away. Um, I am still a professional, like, I am, like, working towards being a professional athlete in a different sport, in a martial arts, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, um, and, I, and I fight all the time. I fight. <laughs> I, I, whatever. I compete, compete and train all the time. Um, but I'm not hurting my body anymore. And I'm fighting at a weight that is my natural weight. I don't cut weight, nothing like that. It's just fun. Like, it's just what I love to do, and I'm taking care of myself. Um, and so I'm still doing, like... I'm still excelling in all these areas. Like I'm still, I thought I couldn't be successful if I wasn't doing all that stuff because I wouldn't be able to like achieve all these things if I wasn't at the right weight or wasn't the right this, that, whatever. Um, I'm still excelling, you know, but I'm just taking care of me too and um, building my relationships. And I do, I'm a year in like, and I already have a life beyond my wildest dreams. And there's so much stuff going on right now that I don't want to deal with at all. But I still have a life beyond my wildest dreams because I'm not throwing up. I have a higher power. I love myself, which is crazy. <laughs> I love myself and I have compassion for myself and I have compassion for other people. Um, and so it's just um, really beautiful to see the progress in a year and to be so excited 
for what's to come because I have a whole lifetime ahead of me. So, and, and like Chris P says all the time, um, I'm in the middle of a really great life. Okay. Thank you guys. Okay. I just want to remind you about the ask it basket. If we could keep passing it around so that everyone has a chance to write something down if they wish. Okay. Our second speaker is going to be a Zoyer and I'll pass that. Hello, can I have the same warnings, the 10 and the 5 and the 2 and the up? <laughs> I'm Zoyer, compulsive of reader and a sugar addict. I, uh, so I hail from Clovis, uh, California. Um, and so I joined OA when I was 27. I'm 30 now. And I remember... Um, I re- I'm trying to remember how my, my how my you know OA story goes, and I think back to my childhood and just little things that I would do, you know, little things that were like hints that I might be this way, you know, and um, I you know just little things like I I grew up with um, like chronic OCD. And I knew I know that my mom knew I had it by the time I was twelve. And we got me um, some help, uh, a psychiatrist, and uh, I was on medication the first time I felt like I could experience life without OCD. I didn't realize until years later how much of that overlaps with my addiction, that OCD tendencies and behaviors. And it's like I was wired to be, you know, in my brain to be this addict. Um, So all that didn't come together until years later. But I remember when I was younger, just little things like, um, I would count the ice cubes and things like that. Um, but I also always felt that I was going to starve if I didn't pack my plate. And I remember my dad would always call me a bottomless pit growing up. And I know that he had to spend a lot of money to feed me. And there were times where he just says, no, you can't have more. Um, and then I would think that he was being mean because I uh, more food is good. And so... So there was that, and I know that he would always say, you know, you only serve what you're going to eat, only serve what you're going to eat, and and then I remember on one occasion, he said that, he's like, look at you, you serve more than you're going to eat, and so to kind of spite him, I ate the whole thing, and we were at this, you know, pot, like, it was like, you know, all you could eat, and I was eating all I could eat, (laughs) or (laughs) all all you can eat, not eat all you can, Um, and so... (laughs) I can I come from a family of compulsive overeaters. Um, I remember this is all growing up, so I was kind of like th- there were signs I was like being socialized, or there were um, things that people were saying that either weren't helping because it wasn't helpful advice, or it was enabling this type of behavior. Um, I remember we I went with my family to a buffet, and we actually had our family reunion at the buffet. Go figure. And uh, I remember my cousins. Um, they ate a lot, and um, on one occasion, they were actually asked to stop eating uh, at the buffet. Uh, they, what they did is they kind of stayed there all day and had breakfast, lunch, and dinner, um, and they, they were eating a lot, and <laughs> my whole family eats a lot, and so I just grew up with that, and um, you know, just my culture and everything, um, it wasn't polite to say, to deny food. Um, and eating the lot shows the cook that you really appreciate 
what they've done for you. So I was dealing with that. Um, not to say it was all them because it was absolutely me. Um, as I got older, I realized I really, really like food. I really like food. And I thought everybody did. And it seemed like everybody around me did. And I was socialized around people that ate a lot of food, too. And I was younger, so uh, my weight didn't catch up to me. So I thought it was okay, and I just kept eating. The best meal is the next one. And so I was all about that food. And, <laughs> um, you know, when how I found OA, well, um, first of all, I went through um, my junior high and high school experience. Um, and to me, it was pure torture, um, in a way, I was made fun of constantly um, what had happened. And so I was coming to terms with who I am, and I came out in high school. Um, and um, my story is a little um, interesting. I was born female. And so I came out, and I thought at first I was a lesbian. And then I was like, no, that's not it. And then later I realized, you know, I'm a man, a very different kind of man, being born female. But I and I had no education or terminology that there were other people like me. And so I really felt like I was deranged. I was sick. There was something very wrong with me. And nobody would care if I killed myself. Because when I would go to school, people would make fun of me, calling me all types of slurs and everything like that. And I really felt like, well, why am I even here? My parents complain about me. I'm, I'm using all the water in the shower because I'm taking long showers because um, of my OCD. And a lot of times it went untreated because I wasn't being compliant with the medication regimen. Um, something I still work on with my sponsor today. And... Uh, so I, I really felt like, you know, th um, it's pointless. And so um, when I got into college, it was the first time I met other individuals like me. And I remember that being such a liberating experience and also a very scary experience because I felt like I was a horrible person as it was. And I'd be a horrible representative for this minority community. And... Um, so I began to take on leadership positions, and I began to live more authentically me and my correct gender, and that kind of helped me become more happy and stable, and this is leading up to my second coming out, which is um, you know coming out as a compulsive overeater. As I went through my leadership experiences, I um, went moved on from junior college, went to the university, got my bachelor's. And everything like that, and I and I um, I didn't have any plan, but I applied to this master's program because I felt like I'm doing a lot of community service. Um, I like people, um, and I want something more broad than English, which is what I got my first degree in. And so I thought, why not social work? Um, and a lot of people I looked up to were in social work, and I wanted to do what I was already doing, volunteering in the community, but somehow get paid for it. And um, it was. I remember around this time I was attending these other support group meetings and I remember there's this snack time that we have in the in the middle there's like a the we do the rap session then snack time and then there's a guest speaker that comes in and I remember during the snack time I would be like I really like food <laughs> and I was telling somebody there I was I was like proud of it I like owned it and uh and then so someone, I, I said, I just really like food. And I remember there was somebody that um, I had befriended in that organization. One time we were on the phone together and I was telling her, I was like, yeah, that's my, I really like these meetings because they have food. And um, she said, 
I said, I don't know why I eat a lot, but I just eat a lot. And I've just always been that way. And so this person said, have you heard of Overeaters Anonymous? And I said, oh, yeah. And then and she says, would you be interested in going? I said, of course. I was like, I would love to go to a place where all they do is talk about food. And uh, <laughs> that's what I was thinking. I was like, I need to meet other people like me that are not ashamed. <laughs> and so I was like very proud of it. And so... Then a long time happened, and I never followed up. I never found out where that meeting was. I think at least two years passed by. And I was just, I was in my um, graduate program, and I started to intern at a drug and alcohol treatment facility um, in my local area. And I remember I would go to those, and um, they would want me as an intern to facilitate some of the groups that they had. And they had guidelines, and they had roles. And so many of those people were also in 12-step programs. Um, but most of their issues was, um, you know, drugs and alcohol. And so I was like, you know, you know, okay, no big deal. But then I was sitting in there, and it just was bothering me, bothering me so bad to facilitate these, these support groups. I felt like I was a hypocrite. And that um, I, I just felt like the only difference between me and the client across from me was that um, I wasn't arrested or I wasn't court ordered. Nobody caught me for my addiction. I mean, they complained because I ate all their food, but it, I wasn't, it wasn't illegal. And so that was the difference between me and them. And I just felt like I can't offer these people anything. I'm a mess myself. And so um, it bothered me so bad that I remember I had talked to my um, friend who now lives in Oregon, but she, I don't know how she had this information, yet she's in Oregon, but she says, I have the information for Overeaters Anonymous and I'll give it to you. And she gave it to me and I was 27 years old. And I remember I went to the meeting and I, um, I went with a friend of mine who's no longer a friend, <laughs> thanks to program, um, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, she was also a drug and alcohol um, counselor, and she was also a heavy drinker herself, which was interesting. Um, and she went with me. I'm glad, I'm grateful that she uh, introduced me to this resource and for my other friend in Oregon who told me about the resource in the first place. And I remember going to the meeting and seeing the facilitator, and I still know the facilitator very well. Uh, and so who, they're here, not in this room, but they're here. Uh, and... I, I remember I, I said, I raised my hand. I says, so how do you, because I didn't know about the no crosstalk thing. And I was like, so how do you know that you are a compulsive reader? And she said, keep coming back. <laughs> she said, just keep coming back. And I was just saying, okay, because I was like, I don't think I have a food addiction, but I just really like food. I'm like a glutton. That's what I am. I'm a glutton. And so um, she's like, keep coming back. <laughs> and... and and so it was about my third visit, and I said, so I'm pretty sure I'm a compulsive overeater. And then later on, I began to say, and sugar addict, because I started to realize that that's what I was addicted to in the food, that high fructose corn syrup, that's the stuff. You know, my own personal crack, you know, um, my calorie crack is what I would call it, food. And so um, I kept, you know, I, I did keep coming back. And then, so this is how it happened. I went to the meetings, and then they said, we have this thing called intergroup. And they meet, I think, every first Saturday or whatever it was in the morning. I was like, oh, in the morning, okay, I'll try. And uh, 
they said, we need a representative for this meeting. And the person, the facilitator said, I can't do it because I'm already like representing, um, uh, I'm already a representative in another area. And so I said, okay, I'll go. And then so I started going to intergroup meetings. And this is when they were in person before they were on the phone. And I started attending them. And they're like, well, nobody's able to make the assembly. And we need someone to attend and represent this intergroup. And I said, okay, I'll do it. And I was like, well, I don't really have any money. They're like, we'll pay for you. I was like, okay, I'll do it. And and so I was like, oh, I was like, meals are paid for. Um, and, and so uh, uh, so with any, anyway, um, I started, I, I became the assembly representative. And then I, they didn't tell me that they were going to give me stuff to do. I kind of was just like, I don't, I, I felt, I don't remember feeling like, um, I felt a little guilty too coming because I felt like everybody's abstinent and I'm not. Like during our breaks in OA, I'm like going out and binging still like crazy amounts of flour and sugar. And even when everybody went to bed in the hotel room, I would uh, sneak out of the hotel. This is in OA. This is in the, during this OA, I sneak out and go and get candy. And, and I come back and I was like, oh God, hopefully nobody noticed how embarrassing. So I do it in private. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so, um, yeah, uh, so anyway, but it was good. It was st- it was still good, not the not the eating late at night, but it was good that I was there because that was like a foot in the door. That was a seed planted at least. And so they didn't tell me they were going to give me more stuff to do. And so, and I was, uh, they said, okay, you're going to join these committees and everything. And I was like, what? <laughs> and then so they, and I was like, okay, cool. I want to join the diversity committee because if anything, I know what it's like to be a minority population. I'm like three times a minority over. And, um, and then so I thought, and they're like, well, we don't have anybody in the young person's when, so you're going to go there. And I'm like, what? In my head. I didn't want to complain out loud, so I kept it all inside because I'm passive aggressive. And so, um, <laughs> but then I joined and um, then they're like, okay, we're here. And they're like, then they remember in the meeting, they're like, nobody wants to be secretary. And I'm like, ah, I volunteered for everything else. I'll do it. And so, and then later I was like, I can't be secretary anymore because I'm always, always on the move. And then, uh, well, make a long story short, now I'm the co-chair uh, of, of the Young Persons Committee. So it all kind of like, I, I, I went up the ladder in, in leadership and I really think that that's what happened because during this process, um, I actually did go abstinent. Um, and I remember, because I've been absent for a little while now, um, um, so, uh, um, in, a, in a, almost a little over a month, it'll be my year. And so, um, thank you. Um, I um, also quit um, alcohol because it has sugar in it. Um, and so that, t- that too. And... and um, and I had a, um, I had an, another addiction that I had stopped as well, and so there I was like detoxing from like four things, and so um, it was it was it was hard. Nobody told me what it was going to be like to detox that I was going to stay up all night and everything like that. And I had this compulsion to have a lot of sex in the first few months, and um, I I just had so much energy and I felt like manic. And everything like that. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is my body wigging out because it's so dependent on sugar. That's what I did to it. And then I remember – so I started losing weight. I've lost about 70 pounds now. Uh, I was 300 when I began this process. And I'm only 5'2", so dang. Um, And so – uh, but now, but I, I, I never knew what it was like to be able to touch my toes for a few years there. And I, I had to put my foot on a stool to tie it uh, – tie my shoe. And it was so sad. And – so it it um, 
it was really interesting. And I started to realize that, you know, my higher power loves me um, no matter what. And my sponsor said to me, and I try to remember this, I have infinite worth in my sponsor, in my higher power's eyes. And that's what's important. So all that eating and stuff, I began to realize I was doing it to deal with all the negativity that I experienced in high school and being bullied and made fun of and feeling like who cares if I die type of thing. That's well, my higher power cares because he loves me so much. And that's, I was so happy. I was like, I found acceptance in OA. I found acceptance with my higher power and my sponsor. I have a reason to live. And I thought that I was like, you know, getting out and helping my community and, and helping other people who are going through what I'm going through, giving them resources. Um, I became chair of a nonprofit that does work for the transgender community um, in my local area. And I eventually graduated. Now I have my master's and I'm working toward my license to be a licensed clinical social worker to help more people. In help multiple communities in need because you know there's a lot of intersectionality with that stuff and a lot of people belong to multiple communities so that should be acknowledged so um we, even while i was on my way to getting my master's while i was becoming more involved in leadership positions i would see other people other youth looking up to me and i felt like if you only knew i'm struggling with this addiction and so it later throughout my oa is really when i went abstinent is when i really like came out in this sense not not like telling them just to tell them but people would ask why aren't you eating this or do you want this they offer me things and i would say i can't have that i stopped eating flour and sugar and then some people would say oh come on and i be like no and um and so i was like no i i saw so i even I, and i remember even last time for my graduation party my aunt said come look at this thing this dessert and i said that's okay I, i'm good i'm good on the couch and and she says i said i can't have it she says yeah but we can so that's the point she thought she was being funny and i let her know she wasn't funny and so um and my mom backed me up i was like thank god because um when it was my birth my first my birthday when I went abstinent, she wanted to have something that you have after the meal. And I said, no, 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 not at my birthday because I'm struggling so bad. And I told her, you wouldn't offer a beer to an alcoholic. I would really appreciate if we not have that. And so my friends were wonderful to me and they showed me recipes that are abstinent recipes. They showed me how I could make some things without sugar and flour. Um, there was this um, thing that you, <laughs> that you have after a meal, um, a dessert item and um, and someone had made it without flour or sugar, and I was just astounded. It was like all, almond flour and, and um, some dairy products, and that we were able to make something um, that I could eat, and I really appreciated that. It was just so sweet um, that everybody respected um, my abstinence, and everybody's very encouraging of me. Occasionally, I'll get someone that doesn't understand, but I'm calmer now. Like, during the, the detox part, I was so angry. I was like, no, like, you don't understand, and if you're not abstinent, I don't want you to tell me how to eat, and you're not my sponsor, and all this stuff. <laughs> and so, um, right now with my sponsor, because I'm, 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 I'm still growing in my program, and, I'm, and I think that... Um, I was shocked that people said that I was an inspiration um, when I, because of the abstinence. It makes me feel more encouraged to continue um, with my abstinence and continue taking care of myself because I, I didn't realize it, but the, the youth that looked up to me still looked up to me once they found out I had an addiction. And that mattered to me. And, it, and they started coming forth and talking about their addictions. And there's one youth that has even come to OA 
um, and has stopped eating flour and sugar. Um, and so I didn't realize that just that so many blessings come with just being truthful and truthful with myself and truthful with the community that I love. And so working with my sponsor, we work a lot on my self-loathing because that seems to be the core. I realize it's not just about food, but a lot of it is about feeling this inherent sense of, of, of a lack of self-worth was my issue. And so um, I'm working on loving myself and committing to surrendering my self-loathing every day, surrendering my anger my jealousy, my rage, um, or sur- surrendering my doubt that my higher power can't handle it because I surrender it, like try to surrender every day. And then I'll like, if I start to worry and have anxiety, it's like, oh, that means I took it back. That means I, t- I didn't really surrender it if I'm still worrying about it. And so, and I need to let my higher power handle it and trust that he will. So there's no reason to have the anxiety. And so, and like I mentioned earlier, um, um, taking my medication was an issue, but now it's become part of my routine with my sponsor, with my daily step work. And so, um, I'm just really, really grateful for OA. It literally saved my life and I'll pass there. Thank you so much for listening. Okay. Um, just a reminder about the Ask it, basket. If we could keep it moving, maybe during this next speaker, somebody will have a question, and uh, if we keep it going, that'll be a good thing. So our third speaker is Maggie. <laughs> Hi, I'm Maggie. I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, first, I want to say thank you. This is amazing um, to have this opportunity to speak with both of you. That was really inspiring. And like being a part of a young person's group, I think is, oh, can you hear me better this way? Um, It's it's good. I feel like I should be singing. (laughs) 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 Maybe I will. (laughs) Um, So I'm from San Francisco. I'm 32. I came into program when I was 29, just about to turn 32, 30. (laughs) Just about to turn 30. Um, And let's see. I just want to name that. I just want to say, if you don't hear anything in my share, that's um, that's something that you relate to. Please keep coming back, and um, just also to let my higher power take what I'm going to say and do at this moment, because I certainly feel a lot of people pleasing and perfectionism, <laughs> and I'm so grateful that I can um, that I can recognize those things, because in some ways, I think I've always liked people and liked. Um, you know, I just, I like people, but in other ways, I also want people to like me and I like need them to like me in order for me to be okay. And I need to say something that you'll love and laugh at and cry, you know, like, so just to like say that out loud and that my higher power is my friend who is with me all the time and loves me and, um, that I have a lot of faith that, um, you know, Something something good will come of this experience. So um, I think, let's see, I started, I'm not sure when I started eating compulsively. I identify as a compulsive overeater, a restrictor, and a compulsive exerciser. Um, I remember taking other people's food. I would eat a lot of food. I would, um, I don't think... I I probably ate food out of the garbage, but I don't really remember. I definitely have eaten food that's too hot, <laughs> food that's cold. 
uh, food that's not quite cooked, you know, <laughs> like a lot of cookie dough. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. So there's this one story where <laughs> I was in college and I was in an outdoor um, thing and I, we were camping and, <laughs> and I brought, I thought it was the coolest thing to bring like a stick of cookie dough. Um, you know, like those things that you're supposed to cut up and cook. <laughs> and I was like, you guys, we can eat this right now. And they were like, what? They didn't, like, I remember some weird looks. I remember my teacher kind of being like, <laughs> and I, I couldn't, they didn't get it. Like, I thought this was the coolest thing. Um, I think I, yeah, I'm so grateful to have a program where I start to have some real humility because in the past, I think I'm being humble, but um, really I just am wanting people to like me and thinking I'm the biggest piece of poop that the world revolves around, <laughs> which I love that phrase. Um, but instead being like, I feel like OA has leveled, is leveling, is leveling me to be one of many. And that for that, I am so grateful. I have mostly um, related, I'm an only child, and I've mostly related to people who are older than me. I've dated people that are older than me. Um, I, I have a hard time relating to people my age, and I do, and I, but I feel like I'm lying, and like um, I'm just trying to get people to like me. And so in this program, it's been really good for me to hang out with people my age and do things with people my age, because I judge them so much. <laughs> and so... So just to, like, be with people who I'm judging actively. <laughs> like, like, just, like, chill, <laughs> you know, and, like, watch. <laughs> watch them, watch myself, um, and then notice, like, there's people who in the rooms I was like, oh, she, you know. <laughs> and then I go over to her house, and we have a meal, and I, she's just like me. Like, she's just struggling and wants people to like her and... You know, so that's been really humbling for me to, uh, but I've also, I think, took it a little far in hanging out with people who I actually, like, don't, it's okay to not like everybody. Like, that's okay. You know, we don't have to like everybody in the program. It's principles above personalities. Um, and the principle is that I want to be kind to everyone, you know, and I want to be respectful to everyone. I don't have to relate to everyone. Um, so, let's see. Um, I think one of the issues that happen uh, well, there's so many things to say, but one of the issues that really relates to people, young people, I think, is um, sex and relationships. And I think that's something I've been very uncomfortable with <laughs> for a long time. And I didn't date in high school, really, because I just wanted, I just had this huge fantasy, like I have this huge fantasy life. Like, I came down to L.A., and I've just been like, I'm going to see everybody from New Girl because they're my friends. <laughs> I'm like, A, that's a TV show, and B, they don't exist. <laughs> but I love having fantasies. I have these, like, fantasy, I, you know, and I cannot even tell you. So I'm on step nine, and on step four, I made this just incredibly long list of all these people who I resent who never liked me back. <laughs> and like just all these people who I had all these um, all these uh, resentments towards because they didn't they didn't want me the way I wanted them and there was I, but I must say um, 
I probably, you know, wasn't, I wasn't really humble, I think, enough to just be myself with them and to also have enough worth in myself that they didn't need to love me in order for me to be okay. Um, I think I was trying so hard to make people like me that um, they didn't know who I was. So how would they even know me? Because I'm just sort of a piece of clay that I'm waiting for them to mold. Um, So a big part of my recovery recently has been getting to know myself and... uh, like self-acceptance, which I've heard a lot today already about. So, um, let's see, I came into recovery. I was living and working at a place that did a lot of meditation and, (laughs) you know, you can meditate a lot, but you're still a compulsive overeater. (laughs) So (laughs) like, like I, and I was, I was watching myself obsess and I, um, I was, uh, I was realizing that I'm a sugar addict, just like I cannot control sugar. And I remember I was in this retreat and they came by with a little snack and I was like, I I looked at him and I realized I'm never, that's never going to, that substance will never not be sexy to me. Like they're, they're just, it will always, I just remember like when I put it in my mouth, this reaction happens that is beyond my control, which I learned about in the big book, you know, in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous that talks about, um, you know, the, the triggering the physical craving and then going through the well-known stages of a spree, remo- coming back remorseful, um, and vowing to never to do it again. So, you know, I would go several months um, compulsively exercising, doing several hours of yoga and, um, and uh, swimming a day, and I got you know, really fit and slender, and I was crazy. <laughs> like, now that I think about it, I just was nuts. Like, I I was so, I was just so wrapped up in myself. And it was all about not eating or eating or not eating or eating, and, like, what was I going to not eat? And I got to say, today, that still happens, but it happens a lot less. Um, and I don't pick up certain foods. So for me, flour and sugar just create, especially sugar, just, um, I knew from those experiences and seeing how powerless I am that, um, I, I was an addict. So there was a, um, 12 step recovery group, um, in this place where I was, that was an all inclusive group. And so there were people who were alcoholics and people who were in Al-Anon and people who were, you know, working various 12 step programs. And I went and I identified as a sugar addict and, um, I found they had a bunch of literature and some of the literature they had was OE literature. So I started to read it and I remember just like, I could not believe that other people had this issue. It just was, I mean, I still sort of, sometimes I'm like, I'm speaking to a room of people who are like me in this way. That's so crazy. <laughs> like they use food, you know, cause a lot of people don't or Maybe they think they don't. I don't know what other people do. That's another thing I like to do is take other people's inventories. Um, so I started looking at this, and and I started realizing, like, I remember I um, I was going to leave this place, and two weeks before I left, I was thinking about where I was going to binge and what I was going to binge on, 
and I thought about it for two weeks and then I went out and did it. And then I came back and did all my exercise and not eating flour and sugar. And I was like, wow, um, that's crazy. Like that is just crazy. And that's not the life that I want to have. I want to be helpful to other people. Um, which what I'm learning through OA is, is accepting that that's part that I'm a compulsive overeater and I can't control my eating on my own. That's actually sanity. Like that's actually helpful for me to be honest and tell other people, um, and, and work this program. Um, I remember, uh, I was studying abroad. I studied abroad and I gained weight. I think I've probably, you know, I haven't had a huge, a huge amount of weight loss or weight gain in this program, but I have in my life probably gained and lost, um, maybe, I don't, I don't know. Actually, I don't weigh myself because it's crazy. I make myself crazy. Um, but anyway, I gained weight. I studied abroad, and I remember eating table sugar. I would just I would go in the kitchen and just eat table sugar straight, like crack cocaine. I mean, really, <laughs> like it was like, uh, and going just like going from from market to market to market to market. And I have to tell you that I would like to tell you that I don't do that anymore, and I don't do that with flour and sugar, but I do do that with other foods. And I really wish that I, my abstinence was different than it was, but I also wish that I was different than I was. And I know that's not my higher powers will. My higher powers will is for me to accept myself as I am. So, um, my abstinence is imperfect, uh, just like me and just like everybody else actually. Um, and that's bringing me a lot of acceptance. Um, and ser- and serenity to say I gotta say, uh, you know, women's issues PMS hits me hard, always has, and I never thought that I wouldn't be able to eat sugar during that time, and now my food is messy, but I don't eat sugar, and I don't know, that's progress, not perfection. In my life, you know, my my star. Um, you know, that I used to revolve around was perfectionism. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Really, I know, you know how that is. (laughs) And um, now I feel like it's progress, not perfectionism. Like, yeah, I have this, I I didn't come in, so I didn't come into program having a concept of God. I did, um, I did, now that I think about it, I did talk to something that was kind of like God, but the word God didn't work for me. And in program and reading the literature, it just, like, didn't feel good or didn't feel right. But I really wanted it to feel right, and so I worked on it until it did. Um, And now I just love, I talk to God all the time, like, all the time. (laughs) You know, there's something bigger than me that helps me with my life, and when I trust in it, it really comes through and it is so amazing to share a room with people who also turn their wills and lives over to something that's bigger and it is I know when I'm in God because I'm not anxious and I'm not worried and I'm not self-conscious and I'm not thinking about what everybody thinks about me well I actually probably am but I'm not worried by that you know because I I still you know all my character defects are still there and um and I'm starting to learn that they don't go away. 
but I get a, a reprieve. Um, so let me see. Hmm. Oh, dancing. So I, I think now my life, um, like I said, I used to really relate to people that were older. I, um, you know, I was an only child and my parents would have parties and, um, yeah, I think I just was in so much judgment of myself and other people that I couldn't just be a person among people. Like I couldn't just be a 20 year old with 20 year olds because <laughs> I was like, these people are crazy. <laughs> I'm better than that. You know, <laughs> like, like, so then I would act, you know, and then they wouldn't relate to me. And then I'd be like, why don't I have friends my age? Um, because hmm. <laughs> you judge them. Nobody likes to be judged. I remember I was 31. So just like a year ago, and um, I was like, wow, I really don't like 31-year-olds. Like, I was hanging out with 31-year-olds, and I was like, these people. And then I realized I was a 31-year-old. <laughs> I was like, what does that say about myself? Wow. Looks like I, I know who, which relationship I need to work on. Um, <laughs> the one between me and my higher power. So, um, yeah. So I started to – I love dancing and um, – you know, it's the kind of excruciating for me to go and, like, hang out with people my age. And I'm so grateful that I do. Um, hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think self-acceptance is um, the biggest gift that this program has given. And I think that the steps are what do that. The steps are what do that. Um, you know, I, so I, the last person I dated was 15 years older than me and he was my sponsor, my fellowship, my therapist, my, you know, coach, (laughs) life coach, my lover, my boss. Oh my God. (laughs) That's embarrassing. But he was my, he wasn't my boss when we were dating, but he was my boss before that. And like, that doesn't work for me. Like that's not only that's not attractive to me anymore. Like that feels not good to me right now. And instead I'm like, God, please help me just have a relationship with someone who's an equal. I want to be equals, you know, in this in this disease of isolation and of feeling special. It's important for me to just live my life and and then that that means I have to let other people be themselves. So um Letting go and letting it not work out when it doesn't work out. I think a lot of my fantasizing about dating was because I just couldn't handle the disappointment. I mean, it's so hard when you like someone and they don't like you back. <laughs> like, it's so hard. So I would just, like, fantasize and binge. You know, that seemed a lot safer. But that keeps me really small. And um, I know, I've always known, I've always, I think I've always had a connection with a higher power because there's something that's always been driving me. Like I remember when I broke up with this person, um, I was just like on the floor going, what do you want from me? Like, and I realized now I was talking to God, like, what do you, what do you want me to do? I feel like my whole life was ending. Um, and now I know if, if a relationship if that's how I feel in a relationship, that's not like a healthy relationship. <laughs> like my life is okay no matter what. Like whoever I'm with or whoever I see. Like I don't, you know, 
And if somebody, I've, and I've been so grateful to be in program with people who are dating. Oh, okay, two minutes, great. Um, because they can help show me that, you know, no matter what happens, I'm okay. Um, because they're, they're actually experiencing that. Um, and it's so crazy to me that I'm the same person. Like, I've kind of been expecting some sort of giant transformation. Like, I grow another arm or like be, turn a different color or something. But, like, this is an inside job, you know? Like, I'm still the person that I am, and I still need to work the steps. Um, I'm working on, you know, step nine. And I'm sitting on an email to send to someone to make an amends for food that I stole. And um, I'm excited to do that, actually. Like, a part of me's scared, but a part of me's like, yeah, I can do that. Like, I, I can face this person and be okay, and no matter what they think of me. It's someone my age who I think is attractive, so it's especially kind of like, like just being able to say, you know, I'm in this program and, and not overshare. Like, I don't need to put myself throw myself under the rug and, you know, wallow and whatever. But I, I do want to be honest. So, um, yeah, I think, um, I'm really, I got to say that I'm actually becoming grateful to be a compulsive overeater and a restrictor and a compulsive exerciser. And it's, and it's experiences like this, being able to give service that really transform it. So, um, yeah, I just am very grateful to be here and, uh, very grateful for this program. Whoa. And, uh, thank you very much. Okay. I just wanted to draw your attention to the green, um, uh, YP fact sheets. Um, Zoyer and I are on the committee for, um, uh, region two and uh, the committee created that sheet. And if you want to pick up some uh, on empty chairs, you could and bring them to your meetings. Um, we're, we really love to have um, some more uh, young people on the Y uh, on the R two YP uh, young persons uh, committee. And so, uh, in addition to their resources there for uh, young people, so if you could. Um, do that. That's great. Um, if I could get the ask it basket, and I'll go through the questions here. Okay. Um, how do you connect with your friends who aren't in recovery without it hurting your abstinence? And if anyone if that speaks to anyone here, I'll just give you the mic. Okay. You can, I guess. Like, uh, a couple minutes. Yeah, Twenty minutes for this section. Okay. Um, so um, the question is, how do we relate to my friends without hurting my abstinence? Um, I'm reminded of one time, it was during the first month of my detoxing, um, when I called de- cleaning out from the sugar. And, um, you know, I'm one of the few people with a car in, in, in my life. And they'd asked me, well, um, can you drive us through this, you know, fast food thing? You know, it's just because um, they didn't have a car and then they, they only get in. They just, they just real quick on our way home, and I was like, all right, you know, being a people pleaser. 
But then, um, not only that, but they start eating in my car, and the smells just like wafting through and just took over my car. And I remember having a lot of resentment towards them. Uh, and so what I had done, which I probably wouldn't have done before program, is I texted both of them and explained to them how I felt. And I said, for these reasons, I can no longer do that. Um, if I'm in a better place, fine. But at this time right now, at least for the next couple months, I can't do that anymore. It was just too hard for me. Um, and and so I had – and I – have resentments towards people who are are are, are um, not like me <laughs> with the food because I'm jealous that they can just eat whatever they want and then not not be stuck there in the kitchen all day. Um, uh, so communication, that's the answer to to the question. Is I communicate, um, and so it doesn't hurt my absence. I let them know this this these are my parameters. This is what I can do. Luck, I'm very fortunate to have um, a lot of friends who do understand. And so um, when we would hang out, like eating was the thing. That was like the entertainment. Most people like, you know, go to the movies or go play pool or whatever. Well, we, well I, my, me and my friends, we would eat. And even if I had to buy them their food, I want to make sure that we ate. And so that way, if I bought their food, they couldn't say anything about how much I ate, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, I communicate now and they've done, they're doing it back like asking me, well, where would you like to eat? Like, where can you eat? And I'll literally thank you because it's including me. So we just talk about it if an issue does arise. And so but I'm stronger now than I was when I began. So, yeah. Okay, the next question. <clears throat> How do you find yourself navigating your social life as a young person in recovery? Humility. <laughs> I just try to like take the actions. Um, yeah, I so I go to dancing and um, I realize like I need to buy clothes and I want to like like I, I didn't grow up wearing makeup and so like I I went with a friend who's not in program and she bought she like told me what to buy like we bought makeup and I like dressing up a little bit, you know, like it, and it really changes the way that I feel about myself. Like it actually changed, you know, I was always like, I don't need that. It's an inside thing. It's an inside thing, but it's actually nice. Like, and you know, and I look nice and I can like wear nice things. Um, so can I look at that? How do you find yourself navigating social? Um, imperfectly. I think part of the reason that I've eaten, well, a huge reason I've eaten compulsively is because of my social anxieties. So, um, you know, sometimes I have to, sometimes I have to cut things short because, I mean, I had no idea. When I put down the food, I, I do so many things that I actually don't want to do or I, you know, portray myself in ways. I mean, that disappointment thing, I think that sort of disappointment thing, that's so hard. Um, so, and socially, you know, you hang out with someone and you're not really sure if you're going to click and then... If you don't, like for me, I've, I've hung out with several people recently who I realized I actually didn't want to be around. And um, it's hard, you know. Um, so I think a lot of the way that I've navigated social, inter in social things is cultivating my own relationship with myself and my higher power and, um, and trying to 
put the principles of the program into action when I'm with other people and look at other people and, you know, try to abstain from taking their inventories and abstain from, um, from prejudging them as someone who will be my friend or someone who won't. I mean, I have this like idea about what a friend looks like and does and where they're from. And, you know, I'm like, really? Like there are a lot of people in the world and there are a lot of really good people. And I think realizing that I don't know what other people, like what other people, I don't know what other people are or how we would relate unless I really am myself and then see what happens. And then, you know, there's the disappointment of when we don't click, but but there's also all these shades of gray. Like I used to feel like I had to really, really connect with someone on this deep, like we were, tel- you know, connected level in order for them to be my friend. But now I feel like I have friends where we just go do stuff and we're not like necessarily that close, but those people really enrich my life. So I feel like I have a lot more options now. I'm getting a lot more options. Like there's there's a lot of other kind of people I can be around rather than just these like people these are the people who are exactly like me. Like that's boring. I mean, I'm still not totally convinced. A <laughs> part of me is like, I need people that are just like me. Um, but really I need myself and my higher power. And then I want different people in my life. So that's one way I do it. The young persons meeting in my area is dwindling. Is there something that uh, would make you as a young person either want to go or not want to go to a young person's meeting? How can we make it more appealing? Format, time, etc. Well, we can move on and we can come back to that one. Um, are there uh, a lot of young, younger OAers in uh, your area? If not, how do you approach the fellowship uh, part of the program? My, my main meeting um, is like a really big excuse me, really big mix of ages, but I mean, there are probably one or two other girls that are close to my age. Um, and then, you know, all the whole spectrum. I, I really just feel like, I don't know, I guess it sounds like cliche. I call people who are 20 and I call people who are 50. Um, and it's all the same. I mean, yes, you know, like, like we have, we have different things going on in our day-to-day lives, but who we are like to our core, um, I really see it as a blessing because they have way more experience than I do with all these things. And, um, you know, it's like having, like, 25 moms. Like, it's, like, super, like, intelligent, like, program-oriented, loving moms. Like, it's amazing. Um, And so, like, I don't have any problem, I feel like, being part of the social. I mean, these aren't the people that I'm like, oh, hey, you want to, like, go on a double date and go dancing and go this, that, because they have their own lives, and, you know, that's not what they're doing on their day-to-day lives. But um, but the people that I do meet, because there aren't, like, I don't, I don't have a lot of, a ton of people that are my age in a way. Um, 
that I, I mean, I haven't sought out a lot, but the meetings I go to don't. Um, but the ones that do, I get their number and I text them and I call them. And if I need to go get coffee, I go get coffee. Um, if I need ad- advice as far as like relationships or mom stuff goes, I like call my sponsor or call someone's older than me because I feel like they are going to know a lot more. Um, than someone who's 20 (laughs) as much as I like to think I know everything I don't um yeah so I don't I mean I would love to have more young people and I think that there are a lot of young people out there who like who just don't know about program you know and that's really hard because I see it all the time um but they have their own path and whatnot but I don't see it as a problem because what I have is beautiful you know and I, I i i cling to i like i grab the people that are my age and i grab the people that are older than me it's just it's all really the same so. all right uh what are some um uh, what are what is the okay what are some uh some acts that you took to get a connection with your higher power how does your higher power or, or how does your higher power look like Today, or what does your higher power look like today? Um, I was um, uh, raised with um, religion, and um, but then uh, there was a period of time I didn't think that um, I would be accepted in my church, and um, I don't feel that way anymore. But um, I consider myself very spiritual now, thanks to the program. So how do I get closer to my higher power? I pray um, a lot. Um, I I write. Uh, I I write my you know daily surrenders and things like that. So the, the, the things that I do daily, like like writing and asking for His help with so many things and asking for His will. Um, and sometimes I feel like it's better I don't know His will because then I'm going to overanalyze the future and not live in the present. Uh, so doing the writing, also um, writing a daily list of gratitudes. Um, and uh, so those are the things that I do to get closer. And then also turning to him when I'm in need, I'll write. If I think I'm going to be in a stressful situation, because um, I deal with a lot of anxiety, I'll write to him prior and ask for his help and, or surrender the situation to him. Um, and then just let him direct me in any way that he needs to carry out his will. So um, communication <laughs> is the answer again for this question. I, I communicate with him or just express myself to him. And I'm never, I never feel judged. And that was one thing that I didn't know. I, I thought I was going to hear all these things that I have to change about myself and how horrible I am. None of that has happened. And in fact, my sponsor's never ever given me any directives and he's just been a wonderful cheerleader and encouraged me and I'm doing it all on my own and every time he encourages me I want to do something more for my program so he's never really actually giving me any directives and neither has my higher power they just love on me and take care of me and uh, or give their support and and that motivates me to um, tighten the program you know slowly but surely I'm imperfect but it's it's I'm progressing Um, I had to act as if for a long time because I thought it was like, just thought it was BS. I didn't really like, <laughs> it's like why this magical thing in the sky is just controlling everything that I do. I control what I do. 
Um, <laughs> and, uh, but I hear all these people telling me that they weren't throwing up and they weren't overeating and that they had this higher power. And I was like, God, like, I can't, like, why can't I do this? Like I'm trying, like, you know, the whole, if I try hard enough, I can do it. And I couldn't, um, I was like, so trying so hard and I couldn't do it. So I had to act as if, and so I would sit in my car and I would pray and I'd be like, okay, well, God, please help me not overeat today. And then just like, think I was stupid. I was like, this is the dumbest thing ever. And, um, <laughs> and like the more that I acted as if, and the more like I would write, and then I started writing, I would, I would start it with dear God instead of just like, nah, 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 this is what happened today. And it would start with dear God instead. And I thought it was, again, I thought it was BS for a long time, but I had to really act as if, um, I, um, yeah. So, and, and like the more that I was doing that over and over, um, the more, like I said, like earlier in my share, like God would show up for me. And like, I did, when I didn't believe in him, he believed in me. And I was literally just saying the things that I thought I was supposed to say because other people said that they had worked for them. And they said, you don't have to believe in this big, huge, higher power, like God craziness. You just have to think that there's something out there more powerful than you. Anything anything could be that chair like anything that's more powerful than me because my way hasn't worked and so that helped me a lot you know like forming my idea of god around just something that isn't me um and like getting direction from something that's not kendall um and then the more i acted as if (laughs) the more i acted as if uh, because kendall had just jacked me up uh (laughs) so bad (laughs) so that wasn't the answer anymore uh something else had to step in um (laughs) or i was gonna like die you know um it's real um and my parents couldn't be my higher power no one else could not another human being and so i had to act as if say the words and then like little miracles would happen here and there and it was just like like this time it was positive reinforcement, not for my bulimia or my negative actions, my overeating, but it was positive reinforcement for putting faith in something other than myself. Um, and as more I was doing that, I was getting positively reinforced for it. And it was like really encouraging and very, um, just rewarding. And then it kind of progressed to, um, asking like, not just like, you know, um, like telling God that I trusted him, telling him that like, I know that you can like help me like accept am I who I am and accept this and this and blah, blah, blah. So it kind of just grew from there. And, um, but I, like I said, I really had to act as if I thought it was complete BS. I thought you all were crazy. And, um, that you're trying to like trick me into this cult. Um, of, I thought I could do it without God. Uh, but I can't do it on my own. So yeah, acting as if, and then God really shows up, you know, if you, like, like I said, if I show up for God, God shows up for me all the time, every single day. Um, even when I don't think it's going to happen. Like I don't, when, on the days that I feel really, really like not great about whatever's going on, I do my writing anyway. I do my praying anyway. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. He's probably not going to step in today because like whatever, for whatever reason I make up in my head. And then he does every time. It's just, um, unbelievable. So acting as if even when you don't feel like it. Okay, um, this is for Zoyer. How accepting or welcoming or not did you find your first OA meetings to be? Um, pretty accepting. Um, I was um, going to school and working at the time, and so I, was, I knew there was only one evening meeting where I live, and so I was like, okay, that's the one. Um I found it to be pretty accepting. Um, I, 
Um, I always felt in the beginning that I didn't want to share because I was still eating flour and sugar. So I always would hope that they would pass me and I didn't really want to share. Now it's completely different. Now I can't shut up. But, um, and I never understood like, how are these people talking so much? And like, now I understand. Uh, but prior to going abstinence, no, I didn't want to share at all. What am I going to tell them that I'm still in my disease? Um, and so, um, so there was that. It, um, it made me feel accepted that I, I think the thing that was the most accepting is that there's no crosstalk, which is something that I was like, what? Like, how are we going to learn from each other then? How are we going to fellowship? How are we going to do this? But now I understand more why I need to gain my own sense of independent thought and feel autonomous in my way of thinking without feeling judged. And now I feel like I could say whatever I want, whatever I need to do or even process through or clear the air with my higher power. Um, or sometimes he'll talk to me through me, through my share. I'll like come to an un- come to a conclusion in the middle of my share that he would put there for me, and he, not just for me, but so others can hear and benefit from that information as well. So I found it to be very accepting because I could share whatever, and Noah would say anything. And I've never been, I've never withheld um, anything about my identity, any demographic that I belong to. I've never withheld anything um whatsoever um because i believe it's important to be honest and and forthright and so um if if it had to do with my gender i'd share um because a lot of that was the reason why i was having problems with um body image and and the, and i would cope with food or if it was with relationships i'd share that or with or with school or um um <laughs> community involvement growing as a leader in leadership um, so I found it to be very accepting. I remember one of the most beautiful experiences I've had in a way was at the birthday party, this last one. Oh my gosh. And, and I, we, there was just a, um, there was a workshop specifically for LGBT and I, I've never bonded so much because I felt like I, here's people I could relate to on multiple levels. But anyway, overall, um, even outside of that meeting, folks are always very accepting and very loving. And those are the people I could, I really look up to because I can tell that they have an honest relationship with their higher power. And so that's what it's really about. It's, it's not, it's not about me or any demographic I belong to. It's about all of us, you know, growing and in a relationship with our higher power. Okay, now we're going to open up for sharing. You may uh, share up to three minutes each. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded, so you will need to sign the release, which will work out later. Um, So is there anyone here that would like to share? Hi, Cindy. Hi, Cindy. 